But let me jump into our our series in Acts. We're we're in Acts right now, so if you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. And listen, let me just, as you're turning there, let me just tell you something I reminded myself of this week. I don't need to read the news before bed. Um, This week I was doing that. There's wars and chaos happening uh, in Ukraine with Russia. And on Thursday night I had dreams that somehow our church was just picked up not the building, the people, we were all picked up and we were in Ukraine. And, and it was a rough night of sleep as I kept having these dreams about what it was like to, to pastor people through that and trying to figure out what to do with the people of the church and my family and figuring out what that looks like with an invasion. They were a, it was a very heavy night of bad sleep for me. And I woke up just praying for the families and churches that are right now dealing with what it looks like to be the church in the middle of an invasion. Um, and, and sadly, that's not a rare story in Christian history. The churches existed and survived in the midst of wars and invasions and persecution and pressure of all types. And as we look at Acts, one of the things that we're about to start seeing is that that difficulty is about to start ramping up for the early church. And it, as I was thinking about that and thinking about the dreams that I had on Thursday night, I, I started trying to imagine what it was like for us as a church. And one of the things that stood out to me, one of the things that was difficult for me to deal with was realizing how uh, suffering averse we are as a culture. Uh, and I'm not talking about, I'm not saying, hey, we should all be masochists and try to suffer as much as humanly possible. That, that's not what I'm talking about. It, it, It seems like when we look around that not only in the church but outside the church, we are extremely suffering averse in the United States of America. I mean, churches, it seems like the moment things get difficult or hard or someone disagrees with us, it seems like the church throws up the victim card real quick. Like immediately someone disagrees with us and listen, this is just persecution. And that, that flare goes up really quick about the slightest disagreement And we've got this victim mentality and sometimes this boxer mentality that says either I'm the victim or I'm the attacker. And and, and it's concerning to me when I look at the book of Acts and what I'm seeing there. And and I start thinking about that for us the church. I think about that for us as a society where every disagreement, if you don't agree with me, it flares up into this feeling of it's an all-on attack against who I am. When I think about that, I look at churches and I say, you know what, I think the churches know this. I think the churches in the United States know that as a people in the United States of America, we are suffering averse. We're we're very, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. And so because of that, churches know that they can play to our desire for things to want to be easy and comfortable. You can find a million churches all across the U.S. that will tell you that the way of Jesus is easy and prosperous and miraculous. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's not joy in Christianity. I'm not saying there's not blessing. I'm not saying God doesn't do miraculous things. But, but to quote the Mandalorian, if you've been watching that, they say, this is the way. That, that the way of Jesus is ease. And, and that message People flock to. They beg for that message. Tell me how to make things easy. Tell me how to be successful. Tell me how to have an amazing life. Tell me how to be as comfortable as possible while following Jesus. But what if, 
What if prosperity and ease is not the way of Jesus? What if the American dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not the dream of the kingdom of God? Now, some of you might be sitting there going, okay, wait, I don't know what I think about this. What I'm telling you is, what if the way of Jesus is the cross? And you may be saying, well, well listen, what, what about the fact that the way of Jesus is love? What about the fact that the way of Jesus is rest? Well, here's what I'm going to suggest to you today. I'm going to suggest today that the way of Jesus is both. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross, and it is the way of resurrection. It, it is the way of labor and effort and work, and it is the way of rest. It, it is the way of grief and burden and heaviness, and it is the way of joy and happiness and celebration and rejoicing. I'm going to suggest to you that the way of Jesus is both. And so as we look at our passage today, here's what I'm asking you to look for. I'm looking, I want you to ask the question, is this the way of Jesus? Is it both crucifixion and resurrection? Okay, so join me in Acts chapter 13. Let me review where we've been. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are doing this crazy thing that's never been done before. They are taking the gospel to, to places that have never heard it. They're traveling around from city to city to city, sharing the gospel. They went through the island of Crete. Then last week we, we saw they were in uh, Antioch and Pisidia, which is not the place that started them. And, and things went really well, but people got upset. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 13, verse 49. Let me show you how things finished in Antioch of Pisidia for Paul and Barnabas. Verse 49 says this, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That sounds pretty happy, right? Verse 50, this sounds sad. But the Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So, so listen, we see all this movement and happiness and joy, and then you see persecution. Look at verse 52. In the middle of that persecution of Paul and Barnabas being run out of town, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So here's what's going on. They're in this city. They see great movement, and they have to, they have to go away. They, they pack up, and they walk 100 miles probably to Iconium, just off to the east there of what's happening in Pisidian Antioch. And then let's see what happens when they get to Iconium. I want to fly through some of this so that we can get to the main point of what I think uh, Acts 14 is trying to say. So verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Listen, that's really happy. That's the way of resurrection, the way of life, the way of prosperity. Like, listen, this is awesome. They show up in town 100 miles away. They go to a synagogue. Tons of people get saved, Jews and Greeks. But verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. That sounds Really not happy, really hard, really difficult, a lot of suffering. Verse 3, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That sounds really good, right? You, you see them bouncing back and forth. It's happy, it's sad, it's happy, it's sad. It's easy and awesome and then it's difficult and hard and persecution roses, rises up. Look at verses 4 and 5. But the people of the city were divided. That sounds bad. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. 
they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, the cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding area. So here they are. They find out, listen, people want to try to kill us. They, they're trying to mistreat us and abuse us. So they now pack up again and walk another 20 miles to the very next city of Lystra. You're starting to see a pattern here. Look at verse 8 and see what happens in Lystra. And you're going to see this pattern over and over and over again with Paul. You're going to notice he's going to show up, people get saved, then people get angry. Verse 8, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him. And seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. Listen, this sounds really awesome. Paul walks into town, and he doesn't even make it to the synagogue. He sees this cripple guy. He's talking to this group of people about the gospel and the good news and who God is. And then he says loudly, he sees a cripple guy. He tells him, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And look at what the crowd does. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian. They're not speaking in Greek. So Paul and them don't know what's going on yet. They're, here's what they're screaming. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Like they're saying, listen, there's God. These are real gods that have just walked into our midst. Now, I need to give you a little background for you to understand what's really going on here because that seems like they go from zero to 60 very, very quickly. They go from, hey, that's a good message to, you guys are seriously, you're, you're living gods in our midst. Let me tell you uh, why this is kind of happening here. In the minds of people, of the people of Lystra, there was this um, story that was passed down about the city of Lystra that talks about Apollos and Hermes, or Zeus and Hermes, coming and taking human form and visiting the city of Lystra. And when they visited the city of Lystra, they came into town, and they, they didn't look rich and wealthy, they looked like common uh, poor people, and they kept asking, well, hey, can I stay at your house? Do you have some food for me? And nobody in the entire city of Lystra gave Zeus and Hermes any kind of shelter or a place to stay except for this old couple named Philemon and Bacchus. Now, Philemon's wife's name is Bacchus. That's a weird name. I don't want to get into it. I don't understand why you would name your daughter Bacchus, but they did. And so Philemon and Bacchus, they're poor. They don't have a lot, but they invite these strangers into their home. They give them a meal, and as they're having the meal, Zeus and Hermes reveal themselves to this old couple. And the, the reality is they bless this old couple, and they destroy, they kill everybody in the city with the flood except for this old couple, Philemon and Bacchus, and they, they turn their home into this really elaborate temple. And so here's what's going on in the people of Lystra. When they see Paul heal this cripple guy, what they're doing is going, oh, we, we've heard the stories about the last time Zeus and Hermes came here, and we are not going to make that mistake again. And so Paul and, Paul and Barnabas have no idea what's happening at this moment. They just know they've healed the guy, and they're speaking in the gospel, and these people, all of a sudden, they've got crowds screaming and shouting and coming together, and I can see in the chaos, Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, man, like, I know they want to know what's happening. I've got to tell them about Jesus and they're trying to translate it to them in a language they can hear it. And then, and then look at what happens as they're in the middle of all this chaos. Verse 13, 
uh, we'll go verse 12. It says, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And in verse 13, and the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So here's Paul and Barnabas and they've just healed this guy. And all of a sudden they look up and there's this guy coming to the gate and he's got all these cows that he's bringing with him. And these, these little wreath garland things that go around their neck and they're like, dude, what is happening? I, mean, I can see, I can see Paul and Barnabas going, hey, what's that guy doing? Let me tell you what they're about to do. They're about to actually do idolatry. They're about to sacrifice two cows to Paul and Barnabas saying, you guys are God, I want to make you happy. Let me kill a cow for you, right? And so Paul and Barnabas, like, this is the exact opposite of they want, what they want to have happen. This is the one thing they've come to preach to them, to pull them out of, not drive them deeper into and they're watching these people about to kill a cow, and they freak out. They're, they go out there, and look at what it says, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, men, like, you can see them like, no! I just see this Hulk Hogan moment. Any of y'all grew up watching Hulk Hogan? No, just me? Okay, it's a Hulkamania moment where they rip their shirt, like, don't do this! Like, you see them, they run out, they're trying to stop them. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, men, why are you doing these things? Verse 15, we are also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Like, listen, no, don't do this. We're just people. You don't worship us. We came to tell you to stop worshiping idols. We want you to worship the one true God. And so they restrain the people from sacrificing to the cows are sacrificing the cows to them. And so you can see this. I can see them going back and they're, they're just saying, man, that was a close one. And I can imagine that Paul and Barnabas are experiencing all sorts of gospel opportunities in this moment. These people think they're gods. They're probably having influence and they're, they're having all sorts of great conversations. And these crowds have been flocking to them. Let's look and see what happens in verse 19 says this. I want you to see how fickle crowds can be. If the crucifixion of Jesus didn't teach us this, this is a good reminder. These crowds that loved Paul and Barnabas, they turned very quickly. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch. That's over 100 miles away. And Iconium, that's like 30 miles away. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Like, so here's the scene. Like it, it's just like a few days later. He just had crowds wanting to worship him as a living God. And within a few days, they grab Paul, they take rocks, and if you don't know what stoning is, that's a type of execution, a mob execution, where they throw rocks at you until you're dead. That, that's the game plan. It's not fun, it's not nice, it's savage, it's brutal, and they do that until Paul is literally unconscious and barely breathe, breathing. And they pick up what they think is his dead body and dump him outside the city like a bag of trash. So you, you, see, you see good and joy and victory and you see extreme suffering. There is no doubt in my mind that at this moment, Paul has broken bones and and cuts and bruises all over his head and body and face. I, I have no doubt that teeth were broken and knocked out. His jaw, who knows what would have happened to that as people were throwing rocks at him. And he's out there, everyone thinks he's dead. Verse 20, his friends come to bury him. It says this, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And the next day he, he went with Barnabas to Derby. So, so here's what I want you to see. Here's this dude, he gets up. 
And he literally goes back into the town until the very next day. And the very next day, he gets up and walks 35 miles to Derby. I, I, I want to paint this picture for you. Like he's not going there because he's scared. He takes him several days. Here's this guy that is suffering ex- like extremely painful wounds. He's almost died, knocked unconscious, definitely probably has a concussion. Who knows what he's got? He doesn't go through concussion protocol. He gets up bloody and swollen and broken and goes to Derby. And look at what he does in Derby. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... Look at this dude. This dude's an animal. He, he walks a couple of days to Derby, and he just got almost beaten to death and killed for sharing the gospel, and the man does it again in the next city. You don't see him being afraid or fearful. He's undeterred from the mission. He's undaunted by the suffering, and he's unafraid of the persecution. Like This guy is like, man, I am all in for this. I am here to let people know about the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And even if they throw rocks at me, I'm going to get back up again and do it again in the next town. This is crazy. Listen, you need to know something. When he shows up in Derby, this dude does not look pretty. He's not walking in with a nice suit and a killer car saying, let me tell you how prosperous Jesus makes you. He's walking in there still bloody and scabbed up with broken teeth and a really ugly smile that moment saying, let me tell you about Jesus. And people get saved over and over and over again in his weakness and in his brokenness and the part of him that looks abused and devastated, God still does this powerful work where a ton of people get saved in Derby. And then look at what this lunatic does next. After he makes many disciples, verse 21, they return to Lystra. This dude, this dude said, listen, I'm going back to Lystra. And he returns to Iconium. I'm going back to Iconium and to Antioch. All three places wanted to try to kill him. And this crazy dude walks back to the cities. He walks into their front gate and he starts teaching the good news again. Look at what he does in verse 22. He's strengthening the souls of the disciples. He's he's coming alongside them saying, listen, I know this is hard. I just I want to encourage you, and I want to strengthen you. You know what he's not doing? Let me tell you how to fight back. Let me tell you five ways to survive a stoning. He doesn't do any of that. He says, listen, man, I want you to know and love Jesus. I want you to have strength in your hearts so you can stay true to him. And he encourages them. He's He's speaking kindly to them, like, listen, Jesus can do this in you. He can make you loving to your enemies. He can make it so you can stand up when things get difficult. He can give you strength to endure the suffering. And then I see this next phrase that happens in verse 22, and and this is the one I want to camp on just for a few moments this morning. He says this. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith, and then he says this, and saying that through many tribulations... We must enter the kingdom of God. He, he comes back into Lystra. And I, I can see it. I'm just telling you, I can picture this. Just scars all over his faith, face and that ugly, missing tooth, jagged, broken teeth smile saying, this is how we get into the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
This is what it means to walk with him. It doesn't mean that we're feisty and mean and cantankerous. It doesn't mean that we're telling them how stupid they are. It means this. It means that we show up and we suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ and we do it with joy and happiness and love and mercy and patience. Listen, why would Paul tell them that? Here's why I think he's telling them. They need to know that that suffering, it's not how you get saved, but it is literally the, the path that we walk on with Jesus until we meet him face to face. You need to hear that. Suffering is not how we get saved. Suffering is the path that we walk on until we meet Jesus face to face. The reason we need to know that is because this. If you don't know that, then when it gets hard or difficult, you will walk away. Or you'll just reinvent Christianity to be something that doesn't cost you anything. You'll ignore all the commands to be in community because it's too hard. You'll definitely ignore the commands to, to share the gospel with people because it's too risky. It'll be difficult for you to love people that are broken because it's too inconvenient. Listen, I want to remind you of a parable, the parable of the sower that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. He tells this, this story about seed getting passed out. And there's one of the soils, which represents people's heart, is the stony soil. And here's what he says about it in Matthew 13, verse 21. The, the, the stony soil says this, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. This is the believer that hears the gospel, loves it, is real excited at first, but look at this. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, not on account of being a jerk on Twitter, not on account of messing things up, but on account of Jesus and his gospel and the word, when it gets difficult, when obeying God is costly, when speaking the truth is not popular, you immediately, you will fall away. Listen, if you don't know that this is the way, then you will walk away when things get difficult. Or you will invent a thing called Southern Christianity, where all that Christianity is is you look good, you look dignified, you show up to church every now and then, you give a little and you talk nice. That's all that really matters. It doesn't actually matter if you know and love and obey Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. The truth is that if we follow Jesus, it will cost us. If you follow Jesus, it will cost you. It will be painful and difficult. It will also be full of joy and hope, but it's still going to be hard. And I want to show you a couple verses. I want you to consider these verses about the way of Jesus being hard. Because here's what I believe. If you wait to obey Jesus until it's easy or convenient, then you will never really obey him. Listen to these verses. And I'm going to give you a lot. You can write them down if you want to look at later. But I want you to listen to these verses. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Jesus says this. And he said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look at that. See, i got to deny myself. I'm going to follow Jesus. I deny myself and I, I take up a cross. I take up my, my death sentence and I follow him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you hear the suffering in following Jesus? Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. 
says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is awesome. If we're his kids, if he adopts us, that means we're going to have this huge inheritance that we're going to get when we see him. But look at this next part. We're heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified with him. Like, oh, wait, hold on. I don't like that. I, I like the joy. I like the no condemnation. I, I like all the good things you have to say. But you keep throwing that provided we suffer with him. And then Paul wants to clarify in case they miss it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Yeah, there's suffering, but there, as much suffering as there is, there's even an even greater reward at the end. First Thessalonians 3, verses 3 and 4 says this, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. What are we destined for? Affliction. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Paul, everywhere Paul goes, saying, this is the way of following Jesus, and it's going to come whether you like it or not. There is, it's, following Jesus is costly. 2 Timothy 1.8, he says this, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He also tells Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 2.3, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Beloved, or the people that I love, dear ones, however you want to translate that, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here's the point. Listen, when building biblical community in, in the church feels too inconvenient, this is the way. When being generous is too costly, this is the way. When sharing the gospel is too risky, this is the way. When loving people is too hard, this is the way. Church, the, the way of Jesus, it's the way of the cross. It's the way of self-denial. It's, it's, it's the way of sacrifice. It is the way of suffering. That, that is what it means to follow Jesus. You will have suffering. And even as I'm saying that, I know that there's some in this room, you, you've been in church a lot, and you've been driven almost to the point of exhaustion to serve Jesus. You've been driven by these verses combined with things like guilt and obligation and legalistic fervor. Do you know what I mean? Like you say, hey, no, the way of Jesus is hard, the way of Jesus is hard. But what I do is, yeah, it's hard, but I'm throwing guilt and obligation and duty on top of you. And it begins to feel like it starts to be crushing and weigh you down. Listen, some of you hear that, you can feel the weight of guilt and shame bearing in on you. And I want you to know this. The way of guilt and shame, that is not the way. Because Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Listen, when you try to follow Jesus with guilt and shame and obligation and duty, it will suck the life out of you. It'll it'll wear you ragged. You will find yourself collapsing with exhaustion. You're never allowed to take a break when when the thing that motivates you is guilt and shame. You, You don't get breaks. You don't get breathers. You don't ever get to enjoy it. You just bear up underneath the burden and get it done, step after step after step after step. That is not the way of Jesus. What what we're talking about is not seeking suffering, and we're not talking about doing this out of duty or obligation. What we're talking about is we're walking with Jesus to enjoy him. We're next to him, side by side, and he is leading us in a way that is difficult and hard, but it's also with him. So it's joyful, it's peaceful, Uh, I can trust him. It's this balance of sacrifice and joy. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. Here's why I'm saying it's not out of duty and obligation. He says this, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. You see that, that work that was there? But it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Here's Paul's point. Man, I worked hard for the gospel of Jesus. But it wasn't just work that I did. It It was the grace of God doing this thing in my heart. And church, here's what I want you to know. I'm afraid that sometimes the gospel mission gets thwarted because we're so afraid of suffering. Suffering is the way. I'm afraid that sometimes engaging the mission gets really complicated because there's all these people being mean and unloving and critical and ungracious. And so for fear of being identified with them, we don't speak up, missing the whole time that we get to speak up and represent Jesus with grace and truth. I'm afraid that sometimes in the desire to be rested and have everything be convenient, we We don't engage in biblical community and knowing and loving Jesus and one another because it's just too exhausting. I'm afraid we wear ourselves out with, with guilt and shame and busyness and we don't get to enjoy the grace of Jesus. And so we don't have margin to walk in the way of suffering because the way of prosperity is too exhausting. Listen, here's what you know. I want you to hear this. I don't know all the ways to flesh this out, but I do know this. That the way of Jesus is the way of grace and truth and joy and suffering. It's the way of crucifixion and resurrection. That is the way of Jesus. And I'm praying that, that you would stop being suffering averse and that you would take up your cross and joyfully walk with Jesus down the road of suffering. I'm praying that you will be a people that aren't so busy maintaining prosperity and ease and comfort that you're too exhausted to join Jesus in the way of the cross. I'm praying that we'll be a people that know both rest and work. I'm praying we're a people that know both grace and truth. I'm praying we know the cross and the resurrection. I'm praying that we know the way of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to give us a moment to to let God kind of work in our hearts. I I don't know what he would have said to you, but 
this is the moment that you get to respond. This is the moment that if God called you to repent of something, this is the moment to repent. Maybe you've, you've just centered your life to make it as easy as possible and you've avoided obeying Jesus sometimes because it's just too hard. Or maybe the thing that you feel is that, man, you've been wearing yourself out trying to pr- make the way easy. You've been pursuing the way of prosperity, not the way of Jesus. Would you repent of that and ask God to forgive you? Maybe for some of you here, no, you've been walking in the way of Jesus. You've, you've felt the suffering, you've felt the hardship, you feel the weight of it. Man, would you pray God to give you grace to endure and grace to rest in him? Maybe for some of you here, you hear this message about a suffering Jesus and it's not the way of prosperity. And I just want to remind you of the good news that, that Jesus came and he took all of our sin upon him and he died on a cross. And the Bible says he took all of my shame and my guilt and my brokenness, all of your shame and guilt and brokenness, and he paid the price for us on that cross. And it was painful and difficult, but the Bible says he did it with joy. And three days later, that suffering turned into resurrection. And the Bible says he came back to life and he offers you and I not ease. He doesn't offer ease. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace. He offers mercy. He offers to make you and I whole and to give us new hearts. He offers to walk beside us in the suffering. He offers to to give us the power to be loving and gracious and merciful to those around us. Listen, and the Bible says the way we get that is not by being better or not by coming to church or being baptized or any other work. It says we get that by trusting. We trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. So if you've never placed your trust in him, I wanna encourage you to do that today. And I'm not telling you it'll be easy, but I am telling you it'll be with Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to wrap up in prayer. If you need to speak with the pastor, we'll be down front after the service. We'd love to get a chance to talk to you, about, to help you with anything God may have done in your heart. But let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, um, God, you see us. And, and you, know, you know if we avoid difficulty or if, or, if we, or if we try to do difficult things on our own without your power, you, you see our hearts, you know. God, I'm praying you, that we'd be a people that we would walk in your way. That when we think about walking with Jesus, we understand that means crucifixion and resurrection. God, help us to figure out what that looks like. And I pray that we'd be a people as we step out to ministering to others and to loving others and to loving one another and to walking with you. God, I pray we'd do it with rest and with grace, but also with joy in the midst of suffering because we're with you. God, I pray you would drive that into our hearts. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.